Hi, everybody. Welcome to Flaunt Performance, the podcast for the voluptuous runner, where our motto is all bodies are built to run. I'm your host, Aja, and I'm so happy that you decided to join me today. We have a very special show. It's a little bit longer than our normal shows will be. This show is about an hour and 15, an hour and 20 minutes. But it's perfect if you are practicing or training, practicing, who practices? We train. If you are training for I have marathon or full marathon, this is the perfect show for you to listen to. What is it like running ultra marathons? What are the psychological reasons why some women bully plus size athletes? Why do some black people think running is for white people? That's what LaToya, Shantae Snell, and I are going to be discussing on today's show. We're going to be discussing that and so much more. So you are in for a treat. Just a heads up, there were a few sound issues with this interview and my mic was acting nuts. But that's okay because this is an awesome interview. It's tear jerking at points. It's touching But it's a great interview and sit back and enjoy or run and enjoy whatever you're doing. Just enjoy. Hey, LaToya. Yes. Uh, How was that race yesterday? You did the marathon, the New York marathon yesterday. How are you feeling? Oh, man, the marathon was awesome. Um. Well, I, I usually have epic stories that kind of like, you know, follow up and I usually write a blog. I plan on writing one this week on um, Factum on my, my website. And um, the blog, I, I think that this year compared to last year, although my time was a little bit longer, I felt like this year was a lot smoother with everything in general when it came down to New York Roadrunners actually organizing it to making sure that everybody actually had their medals. That was a big thing last year. It actually hit the New York Times where a couple people made it to the finish line and they didn't have medals because there was, um, I guess there was a group of people that actually swiped medals before my wave actually got got out there. So there were some people that actually finished the marathon and didn't get a medal which is really unfortunate you know we die out there for four six eight hours and then you get to the finish line and you don't have anything to actually show for it's it's really terrible yes but, that um, is. somebody swiped the I mean, medals yeah somebody swiped the medals and not only did they swipe the medals they actually try to sell it on ebay um and there were like articles that were popping up like Oh gosh, I want to say for about three or four days through between the New York Times, New York Post, um, Daily News, I saw articles everywhere like, you know, what people were actually getting caught on Amazon and eBay trying to sell New York City marathon medals. And I'm like, you know, for why? You know, a lot of us marathoners uh, do this because it's usually some type of sense of pride and self. You know, um, I have this thing where I think I kind of got this concept from first year that if you're looking to kind of like, and it's not like a knock against anyone that does only half marathons or 10, 10Ks or anything like that, but if you want to get your foot out the door, do a 5K. If you want to see if you can actually push for more, you do a 10K. If you are looking to actually inspire others while getting the joy and getting like a best of both world feel, definitely do a half marathon. But if you are really looking to push yourself and 
it's not really so much about the glitz, the glam, and the joy. Try a marathon. Um, because after a while, after about 13 miles, it doesn't matter how many people's out there, you feel that pain that gets very real, and you start to go through these really dark doors where you're like, okay, why the hell did I sign up for this? You know, so the idea that somebody would actually steal medals and sell them to pretend that they participated in the event fairly, I think that's, that's pretty terrible. Yeah, that sucks. You compete in a lot of stuff. You did the Spartan races, what, last week. Then you did the Chicago Marathon. And yesterday you did the New York Marathon. What drives you to compete in so many marathons and races? Um, a little bit of insanity. <laughs> Pretty much, um, I actually started doing... Um, well, I signed up for my first half marathon thanks to my friend in London. I never physically met him, but we've been friends for a little bit over 11 years um, through MySpace. Uh, I think it's probably one of the better things that MySpace actually um, had. You know, I think that, that I mean, because I don't, I'm really skeptical sometimes of uh, social networking, but I made some really memorable friends. Actually, one of the friends that I did the Spartan race uh, with last week actually is a friend from MySpace. But in this particular instance, he signed up for a half marathon. And in the cleanest of terms, I basically wrote back and was like, okay, if you sign up for a half marathon, I'm signing up for one. Turns out he did. So in turn, I never did a race, um, never did anything like competing or anything of that nature. And I was like, all right, crap. You know, I'm one of those people that if you tell me a truth or dare, I don't back down. So I was like, all right, you know what, screw it, I'll do it. I'll try it out for once. And I had no method, no, I had no prior research, anything of that nature of the proper way to run, to breathe, any of it. And uh, I was like, crap, you know, I signed up for this half marathon, but now what? You know, I didn't do a 5K. So I ended up looking into, what was it? The first thing I did was look into Coach to 5, I think it's um, Couch to 5K program. And they had an option on there through Runtastic where you can do a half marathon. So I'm essentially trained with that. So at first, it was just to kind of like, you know, make sure I kind of went through with this whole true for dare kind of feel of let me just make sure I get through this half marathon. And during the training process, I enjoyed it so much that it became a part of a lifestyle that, you know, I didn't even know. I'm like, you know, for the most part, I kind of had this... I hate to say it, I had this stigma of, you know, black people really don't run, unless you're kind of running from something. You know, maybe you're running from the cops. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, maybe running for the ice cream man, in my case. Like, I mean, I came from 265 pounds. You know, so I was like, all right, you know, that's the only way people are going out there to run. You know, the, I didn't associate it with a personal pride. Or, you know, maybe you're running from something or you're running towards something. I didn't look at it as goal-based. So when I did the first one, I was like, oh, all right, this is cool. And then the next thing I knew, I had all these people watching. Even though part of my weight loss journey in the beginning was to have some type of accountability buddy through social media. Um, it was something that was encouraged from one of the people that I was losing, that, that was helping me lose weight in the be um, like, well, at least a successful time of losing weight in the beginning. She's like, you know, get other people involved and make them almost hold you accountable to your words. And next thing I know, I'm going out there. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to do it this one time. And then I end up signing up for another race and another race. Like the first year, 
it was really, it went from this crazy true for their kind of deal to joining Black Girls Run, which they truly, like, they, they have such a great sisterhood. Um, and they don't, they're very non-judged. They don't judge you, and they'll say, oh, okay, you're a slow runner or you're a fast runner. It's just run your own pace, and that's something that they really, really emphasize. Next thing I know, year two kicked in, and it just felt weird when I didn't run. I was like, all right, I'm going to take a break from this. I'm tired. And then I, I'm sitting here like with cold shakes at like 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning. Like, I'm used to running. So it, then it started becoming habitual. But when I started looking at the medals on the wall, I, I questioned myself of why I'm doing this. And it started to grow slowly into getting these messages from people. Where they're like, you know, you're really inspiring. You know, and... For someone like me, I have a hard time accepting compliments um, because I usually get, I either clam up or I start to doubt myself or I kind of find this weird way of like deflecting it. And then I'm like, oh, but you're awesome too. It's just, um, it, it comes from a lot of self-doubt. And this is a lot of things that I'm working on. And now I find myself here almost going into year four that the reason why I do it is because I'm okay now with the idea of actually inspiring people. And, you know, I, you know, it's like there's to a point where you can't deny that what you're doing is a little bit more than just you. So that's why I find myself now. I find myself kind of signing up for these things because, you know, the adrenaline junkie in me, the metal whore in me, I love metals. Um, <laughs> like, I, I'm not sure if you're able to actually see my video, but there's a wall behind me with nothing but medals and pictures and stuff from just literally from the last four years. And it's been an amazing journey, you know, to the point where I can look at a medal and I can tell you a story that comes with it, whether it's good, bad, and ugly. I think that every ounce of the journey is supposed to be there. You know, whether you think it's not supposed to be there or not, you know, it's supposed to be there or not. I think that that is part of the journey. And that's what keeps me going at this point. I'm still learning myself through this. Have you ever felt the imposter syndrome? Like you're at a race and you're wondering, or maybe just in the beginning, did you feel why, like, why am I here? Who am I to be here? Every race. <laughs> it's been four years and every race, I don't care what the distance is. I question why I do this almost every time. Um, I want to say in the last month, since I've been like for the last month and a half, I've been doing nothing but race and race and race and race. Like I've been like a weekend warrior um, for like almost the entire month, of October going to November as of yesterday. And I want to say that I came across that crossroads on my last Spartan, actually. Um, my last Spartan, I'm sorry about the messages that's kind of coming in or whatever. I'm have like people that send me still send me congratulations, but, um, no problem. my last, my Spartan race in South Carolina, I did a double, um, a double beast, which a beast basically means that the distance is over 13 miles. And I did this with, um, one of my other MySpace buddy, her name is Brasha. And I came across this crossroads at mile 14 after I was going really good. I mean, the, the, that Sparta race in particular was either 14.29 or 14.79. It really depends on who you talk to on the course, and they'll tell you how long it is. But um, I went blind. Um, and I mean, not, like, not even as an expression, but I literally went blind the first day. 
And I freaked out. And I'm like, why the hell am I out here? Like, you know, so while I'm in the middle of making jokes with strangers that I became friends with from the course, it did get to a point where I'm like, you know, all the things that I had, the physical attributes that I have working against me. I have sciatica. I have uh, dysdegenerative disease and a couple other things. And I'm just like out here just wondering, like, why am I here? You know, I have nothing to prove to anyone. You know, I, you know, I, I question what I'm proving to myself at times. And I think that those dark moments are there to humble you and in a sense to challenge you to kind of get past those dark moments, get past those those inner voices that we all have about something in our lives. It doesn't have to necessarily be about running. It can be, you know, to your promotion at work, to your career choice, you know, to what are you doing as a parent, as a mother? I, I go across those crossroads where I feel like as a parent, I don't know what I'm doing. And the point is to, I guess the metal, is, to me, it might be a physical aspect, but I think the real metal is in your mind to find a way to actually push through these things. And that's what keeps me going on the course. So sometimes I might talk to myself. There are times where I just love the active meditation and it, that's what keeps me going. Sometimes I just give myself a little jingle. I might just start randomly singing and it might come across as weird to other people, but there's certainly a lot of us out there. And I mean, when I say us, I mean as in marathoners or people who do distance running who completely get it, you know, that, you know, sometimes it takes just a little bit of crazy to counteract the crazy, if that makes any type of sense. <laughs> and that's what kind of makes me keep going out there. You know, um, yeah, I think that's pretty much about it though. Do you ever have mental battles with yourself while you're out there? Yeah. Um, a lot. Um, yeah, like the, the thing that really sticks out to me really had to be those, the, the South Carolina Spartan race, although it was a little bit easier than, as weird as it sounds, it was easier than Vernon, New Jersey, the one that I did with my friend Rain, the workout buddy that you see in all the videos. Um, although it was easier than that race because there wasn't so many inclines and it wasn't so many hills and um, on the mountains or whatever, this was a rel relatively flat course. Day two, we had we ran across a couple of mishaps where we almost didn't make it into day two. Um, and I went through an anxiety attack, literally within the first mile, the first mile all the way up into the fourth mile. And every dark door you can think of. Um, I didn't have a glamorous um, childhood. I mean, it wasn't exceptionally terrible, but, you know, I think back to every doubt that people have literally, like, I mean, I'm thankful, I mean, now in my adult age, I'm thankful for the negative people, where I've had people who said things like, you're not going to become this, or you're not going to do that. Um, now as an adult, you know, I get messages like, you know, you're still fat, you do all these races, and, you know, you still haven't, you haven't lost that much weight, you should be much skinnier, you know, but your health is crap, and, you know, why are you doing this? This is um, the, my favorite um, I think my new favorite is this is a white man's sport. Um, it, unfortunately, um, and I, I say favorite um, in the most sarcastic of sense that, you know, that there's such a stigma within your own community that thinks that, you know, there's no place for black people, particularly black women to actually be doing this. You know, we, it's almost like we came up with a list of excuses to fail ourselves before anybody else actually do it. 
Um, and this particular race, uh, I had a series of thoughts of, you know, part of my expression of how much of a fuck up that I am when it came down to life up until this point, And I kept thinking, what if I get back there? And it triggered the worst, one of the worst panic attacks, one of the worst anxiety attacks that I had. And the only thing that contained me was I have someone else out here on the course. I'm not doing this alone this time. I'm actually doing this with someone else. And I really don't want to freak her out. You know, and if I freak her out and my anxiety attack gets so bad, I know the, the type of person that she is. If I leave, she's going to leave. Because if it was the other way around, I would do the same thing. I want to go back to what you said a little bit earlier. Something happened in this race where you almost felt like you couldn't do that second part. What happened? Okay. Um, which um, you mean um, as in um, this, like the last thing I was talking about? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we got there a little bit late. The to be very honest, we got there. We got there a little bit late. We kind of um, we overestimated. Well, we underestimated the, um, the the time block. And in turn, by the time we got there, they couldn't find our bits. And because they had let out so many waves, you know, at this point, we ran across this crossroads where they're like, hey, we might not be able to let you in. You know, you might not be able to actually start this race and you might actually have to either one, um, take a lower race or two, you might have to forfeit your race. And to me... You know, I was I was devastated. I take you know, I, I like I was trying not to show it, but I'm not really good at masking at moments, especially when it's something that I've been working on for months. Uh, that's the reason why I've been doing all of these cross training videos and you know the the regimen because it's not like I was just focusing on running. I was focusing on doing obstacle courses, which is a different animal of its own. Um, you you need a lot of upper body strength. When it comes uh, when it comes through when it comes to the when it comes to the obstacle course races, but you know I, I got really worried and because of that because my anxiety was already there with oh my god we're late we're possibly not going to make it it already translated by this point I already had manifested it so bad it translated on the course so while we were huffing it like we really like we pushed through faster times than in our first five miles than we did the first day i didn't talk as much um i wasn't as excited as much i was just literally i i feel bad because in a sense when i think about day two and maybe that's the reason why i'm kind of struggling with writing this second blog i feel like day two i kind of mentally abandoned her and i kind of checked out and you know it's certain everybody has their own triggers and that was certainly mine because all i kept thinking is I had people fund me for this race, you know, and I don't want to fail them, especially when, when you start late and that, it doesn't matter if it's a marathon or if it's like regular, like this is regular running or if it's an obstacle course race, they have time limits for this. So the later that you start, the, the less time that you have working to your advantage. So they actually had a course marshal out there. They called them sweepers um, when it comes to the Spartan races. Um, and, these sweepers are there. They, they, they try to not give you too much pressure where they, you know, like they're seen, but they do make their presence known like, hey, if you actually don't pick up, we have to put you in this sweep van and then we're going to drive you back to the beginning, which means that you spent all this money, all this time and all this effort essentially for nothing. 
you know, you, you go off the course, you, you don't have, you don't have your medal, you don't have your finisher shirt if you're doing a Spartan race. And you, all you have is all these thoughts of shoulda, coulda, wouldas. And that was a lot of my fears. And all that stuff manifested at that one moment. This, the whole concept that running is a white man's sport is it's kind yeah. of shocking probably to the general population <laughs> that we would even think like yeah. that. But where do you even, where do you think that thought process comes from? <sighs> um, not to get too heavy. I think it's, it, I think it comes from, I, I think it comes from like, you know, all the way back to slavery. You know, I think that, you know, sometimes, you know, we, I mean, you know, people forget, you know, like it's, it's only been a century since we've been free, technically, physically free, you know, um, it hasn't been that long. I mean, you know, great. You know, granted, you got 1865, you know, Emancipation Proclamation. But you're talking about that mental that's been here for over 400 years. And then you, you have these things that are basically essentially passed down from generation to generation. And it's like now you have social media who perpetuates these negative stereotypes that black people are only supposed to do this and white people are supposed to do this. I can't tell you how many times I get... I like to say that they're jokes, but jokes sometimes, I think the best comedians are the, the jokes that come from a little bit of truth. I, I get a, I get jokes that I sound like a white woman at times because of the way I talk and the way that I articulate my, my choice of words, the fact that I can talk forever. And they're like, oh, you know, you sound like a white woman. Or I get told that I sound like a bill collector, <laughs> um, you know, on the phone or whatever. And and I, I get that a lot, especially when I talk like this. When I'm talking with my friends, my 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 tone is a little bit different, but I do get these stere- these racial stereotypes. And I found I, I thought that it wouldn't. I guess I went into this a little bit ignorant in the beginning because running was not something that I said. Oh yeah, I'm gonna go out there and be a runner. I thought that this would be the last thing I was gonna do. I thought that you know running was for someone else. I, at one point. I hate to say it. I was one of those people who believed in a stereotype that running is not really for black people. You know, I was like, all right, you know, there's a couple of us that you see on TV that's, you know, that's in, you know, that's in races and stuff like that or whatever. But other than the Olympics, I didn't really hear too much about running until recently, until I actually started looking into it. Other than that, I just kept seeing, you know, people that I couldn't identify with. You know, um, especially being, you know, plus size, I definitely didn't hear anything about that until I actually started really getting into it and started doing the research and saying, hey, there's there's more people that's out there that's like me. And it's it's a little disheartening, you know, that, you know, that people have this mindset that we can't be successful. And if you are successful, it's almost like selling out. Mm. Um and it's, you know, it's not even so much just a, a, a sports thing. It comes down to life. You, you, I can't tell you how many times where you see someone that's, for instance, you see someone that grew up in the projects, and then all of a sudden they become an adult, and they get accepted into this Ivy League school, and instead of, you have a group of people that's like, yes, that's my baby, I watched him from birth, or I watched her from birth, and, you know, she grew up and she became successful, became an accountant, and then all of a sudden you have this other part of the community who's looking at you like, you're a sellout, so you didn't come back and help us. No, you, you have to know how to help yourself as well in this process, you know, and it translates 
into everything, including sports. And some of the negative feedback that I've got, I've got this from family members. I've got this from close friends. Um, I've, I've got this from friends who are no longer friends, you know, because they felt like I invested so much of my time into this sport that it it weighs more than the friendship or the family bond that we have. And that's that's the hardest part of this is, you know, because like, I'm not trying to force people into my lifestyle, but I do want them to respect what I'm doing. You know, they don't have to fully embrace it and say, yeah, you know, we know running is kind of like part of her life, but I need them to understand that this is not the only aspect of my life. And it's... You know, it's something that is is almost like like failure is the stereotype of African Americans. Like that that that's, that shouldn't be our stereotype. But if you leave it to the media, you know, to believe this, and you you see the you know you see the the little wheezy and you know and all these other you know rappers that they try to glorify on television, and they show all these part of me part of my expression, but these these cool images of what we are. It translates into every little aspect of how other people see us. And if we change that norm, then we're essentially, quote unquote, selling out. If that makes any type of sense. It makes total sense. When did you accept that you're an athlete? Oh, man. (laughs) I don't know. Um, I think, um, wow. I think Red Book made it very real for me. Um. Red Book Magazine, that happened, I want to say that was about six months into my journey, maybe six months. I know it was within the year. Uh, I'm, like, looking at my wall right now, and I'm trying to, like, recall back to this art, this magazine. They they essentially did the interview with me on in April, um, and then it got into their May-June issue uh, of 2014. And it started to kick in a little bit because they kept saying athlete, athlete, athlete the entire time. That, you know, they were um, they were doing the pictures and they was like, oh, okay, you know, you're a runner. And up until that point, I was like, I'm not a runner. You know, I'm like, I'm a person, I'm a poser. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I just take this as a, as a joy. And, you know, it was novice, you know, to me. I was like, all right, you know, I'm just, I'm just an enthusiast. I don't think it's that, you know, that serious. But then when other people kept tagging me in Instagram videos and, Oh man, this reminded me of you, you know, down to my own mom. That's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm so proud of the athlete that you became. You know, it, it got to a point where it just had this nice jingle on it. I'm like, hmm, maybe I am an athlete. You know, um, like like I said, I, I can be my own worst critic, and it took it took a little bit. So I want to say about a year after doing this and doing all these events, and then I realized that I was signing up for. Every little thing, whether it had a medal or not, I was all like, okay, you know what? Maybe I am an athlete. You lost a bunch of weight. You just talked about Red Book, and you were featured in Red Book, and then you gained weight. Yes. What motivated you to get that get out there and keep going? Oh, Red Book. Oh, man. Um, at Red Book, by the time I got into Red Book magazine, I had lost 85 pounds. Um, at, at this point, I had because when I started off, I was 265, and and going down to 165 around November 2014. Yeah, November 2014. 
is when I went down to 165. The thing that people didn't realize is that when I lost the last 15 to 20 pounds, I was exceptionally stressed for the last 15 to 20. Um, I had a few change, um, a few events that changed um, a part of my life. Um, it was really personal, you know. The, and yeah, you know. I feel like those pounds that I lost were really unhealthy pounds. And although I was very heavy and active in my running, they were stress pounds that were leaving, you know, versus, you know, saying, hey, you know, the rest of the progress was 80 pounds in. I'm like, all right, you know, I'm running, I'm eating different. Um, I couldn't, I really didn't touch junk food as much, um, even though I do have a, a serious sweet tooth. And then next thing I know, I, I got into, I, I said, I ended up going right back to what I like to call the real world. I ended up taking a job. And as much as I loved working, I hated being away from my family. Um, it, I, I hated, you know, I hated the aspect that I loved working out so much that I was like, oh, my God, my job. Like, as weird as it sounds, like my job is interfering with my workout habits. And then I started neglecting some of the food, the, um, the healthy food that I was eating because my work. My uh, I'm a I'm a culinarian by day. Um, right now I'm just strictly freelancing, but um, at the time I was working at this place called the Meatball Shop and in the village, and um, it's in the West Village. And I was working anywhere from eight hours to fifteen hour shifts. So it takes a major hit. So you're talking about being out of your house, not just 15 hours a day, but if you are, if you live in New York City or if you live in a, a large city, you're talking about taking public transportation or being on the road and driving to work. You're essentially saying about at least 12 hours to 17 hours of your day is going to be dedicated to work. Then you have to cram in, what, seven more hours to take a shower, to eat, to do normal stuff, to spend time with your family, that stuff started to take a toll. Um, I got to a point where I picked up a little bit of a drinking habit um, while training for a marathon. <laughs> you know, the, it, was my, it, was, it was my first marathon at that. And it, it was such a challenge. I think that as dark as that moment was, that was also part of the, it was part of my story. It was supposed to be written. It was, it was already written before I've done it. Um, and the only thing that got me back there was the support of really good friends who did not care about how I took it. And it was like, listen, um, you're becoming an alcoholic and you're not getting any sleep. You're, um, you're not functioning. You're not even happy anymore. You know, we, we don't know who you are anymore. And if it wasn't for good friends, if it wasn't for good family, if it wasn't for a good support system and truthful for myself, I don't think that I would have bounced back. I think I would have gained the 265 pounds. I would have put it right back on and then some more. Um, I wouldn't be able to look at this the weight that I actually gained and lost back before. I wouldn't be able to look at this as a positive thing. I, you know, the reality of it is anyone can lose weight, but just as quick as you lose the weight, you can gain it right back on. And you have to realize that, at some point, you have to realize that this is a lifestyle. This is not a temporary fix where you say, hey, I lost all this weight, and now I get to abandon everything that I made a habit for the last year or two years or whatever amount of time that it took for you to actually get this stuff off. This is a lifetime process. So while you may not have to go as hard as Jim, 
you do want to make certain things a habit. And a lot of this stuff comes from not so much the working out. It comes from the things that you eat. And that was the re-education that I needed around year two. And now I completely understand how all these things work in harmony. Describe the point in your life when you said, forget it. I love my body and I'm going to take nude photos of it because you just said you're a photographer. You have some nude photos. <laughs> I was like, wow, these are really beautiful. But describe the point when you said, this is what I'm going to do. I love my body. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, um, I came even before this journey, I came, I came to that, um, that crossroads. After I gained weight, that's the, and like, you know, usually you hear all these people like, oh, I did this for self-liberation. And no, I did it because honestly, at heart, I am a nudist. <laughs> but when it came down to doing the, um, the nudes, essentially, I did that at my heaviest weight um, because I had clients um, in the beginning. Like my, my husband and I, we started off about seven or eight years ago, uh, we started East Nail Design. Um, that's our photography, that's pretty much our photography business. And um, we started this off on a whim where this was something that he, he was taking pictures to actually get himself through school, but he was trying to do this for a speed sketch. And it turned out that his clients actually liked the pictures more than they liked the sketches. We ended up doing this as a hobby. I was his light assistant. I didn't really have an interest in photography as much as he did. And I ended up picking up things along the way. In turn, with the more that I started talking with his clients, I realized regardless of what size they were, whatever size, whatever shape they were, I realized something that was in common, particularly with the female models that we had. And it was a lot of self-esteem issues. Um, and I recognized the difference between the ones that had clothes on than the ones that actually were bold enough to stand in front of the camera. It wasn't just like, oh, okay, well, I'm getting paid to be nude. You, you just heard something that was just lighter in their personalities. And a lot of these guys, a lot of these girls' personalities that they're like, you know, screw it. Like, you know, who can judge me? You know, um, you know, if you don't like what you see, then, you know, just, you know, don't look at it. You know, and I love that, that personality. I love that, um, that characteristic and that trait that they had. That I was like, how can I be like that? You know, like not become them in a sense, but how can I get that level of confidence? And I realized that this is just something that's built in self. So it's like taking on your fears, you know, face forward. So when I'm enclosed, the weird, the weird thing is when I'm enclosed, I think I'm more self-conscious enclosed than I am when I'm nude. When I'm nude, this is all me. This is all, I have to accept every imperfection as a perfection for myself. If, um, you know, uh, um, I'm trying to like, see if I can actually phrase that correctly. So every bump, every freckle, every lump that's there, every back, every ounce of back fat, you have to learn how to love all of it before someone else can actually love that for you, before someone else can appreciate it as much as you do. And I got to that point when I was 265. You know, I, don't get me wrong. I had days where, you know, I looked in the mirror and I'm like, I really am not happy with what I see. But there were plenty of days where I was just like, screw this, I'm beautiful. You know, and, you know, I told myself this enough until I believed it. And then now it's not forced. You know, I, I have my days. I have my days. You know, we all have our days. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. You know, we have our days where you're like, you're just not happy with certain aspects or certain ways that you look. 
But when I when I look at my visual board, you know, I look at the person that I wanted to be. Now to the point where now I look at the visual board and I'm like, this is not actually what I want to be. The person I want to be is the person that I'm at. I, I am right now. You know, this is my process. This is my body. And I appreciate it. I appreciate every ounce, every freckle, every curve. And I just like, screw it. You know what? One day I just got in front. I, I, I told my husband, I'm like, hey, you want to take some pictures? And he's like, sure. And he's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I want to get nude. And he's like, uh, you know, <laughs> he freaked out a little bit. And he didn't want to offend me, too. Because at that point, he didn't take pictures of plus-size women. Especially not, well, he took pictures of plus-size women, but not nude. So I became one of his subjects, his first subjects, to do nude photography on. Um, and he did a light painting at first. And for some weird reason, I was like, I feel like sharing it. And I ended up going out there and I ended up sharing the light painting at first, which a light painting is basically putting, it's like a certain setting that you put on the camera and you're literally using a flashlight to paint the person in. So I'm like, all right, it's like an implied nude. I can live with that. But by the time it got to like about this year, I had no problem with actually putting it up as a statement. I am so, I can't express how much I am very happy with the, I want to say it's a, it's a movement at this point. I'm very happy with the plus size movement that we have going on, but I am not really happy about the way that, I'm not happy about the way that we're kind of like perpetuated in the media sometimes. Because sometimes I feel like we're like the we're we're, we're like a fad, and it's like okay, when is the fad going to be over? Like I mean, we're still going to I mean, there's going to be a lot of us walking around here that's size 12, 14s, 22s, 24s, and twenty six. And when this you know quote unquote fad is over, are, are anybody going to you know is there going to be anybody left that's actually going to give a damn about us? So me doing nude photos at this point is to show that, you know, I don't believe in things like, oh, this is a, this is a real body. That, that's pretentious to me. I think that showing and embracing the curves that you have and accepting them for what they are, it makes you a better person. You know, as a photographer, I get to see what a person looks like before the edit and after the edit. And I, in my personal technique, I like to not remove things like you know, scars, um, especially if they have, if the scars meant something to them. So I'll give people the, the, the benefit of the doubt and I'll say, hey, listen, do you want to keep this in? Now, most of my clients are like, no, but there are people out there who are like me who have been behind the camera or they've seen so many pictures of themselves out there, especially models who are very thankful to see that they're not being photoshopped every five minutes. So when I put up my last picture, literally of my booty <laughs> out there on the internet, you know, I wanted people to realize that, hey, you know, um, not all of us are made to look like the Coca-Cola bottle shape. You know, um, I lost this weight and I gained some of this weight back or whatever and I got muscle and I'm okay with it. You know, I'm okay with not looking like a magazine cover. And if you do look like a magazine cover, then hey, you know what? More kudos to you. But if you don't, you are beautiful just the way that you are. Let's talk about that confidence level that you have. What is it like being a plus size pole dancer? Everybody, she does a lot of cross dance, cross training, but she's a pole <laughs> dancer as well. What is that like? 
Oh man, uh, <laughs> I would be lying to you if I did not look around the first time I stepped into a pole class because I was like, oh, all these girls are skinny as hell. <laughs> I am like, even when I lost, like when I initially, when I went into my first class, I had to be, I think I had just hit 180. I was starting to creep up just a little bit with the weight that all over again. I was 180. And, you know, some people would die to be 180. They're like, oh, that's not big. You know, it depends on who you talk to, you know, um, but I'm five foot three. I'm five foot three and a half, I must add. You know, the half doesn't matter. Short lives matter. You know, so um, it's pretty much I, wa- I walked into this class and I looked around the room and the studio that I go to is Foxy Fitness and Pole. They specialize in having small classes, affordable classes, and, you know, they, they cater to each student. So when I'm looking around the room, I'm like, oh, my God, all these girls are like a size two or a four or a six. And here I am looking like Shamu on the pool, on, on a pole. I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? But then I thought about the reason why I wanted to go there. For one, I can't dance to save my life. Um, I make jokes with my friends that I can't twerk, I can squat. You know, so I'm like, listen, I need to get past this fear. And that's what drove me to go into pole dancing class, to get past the fear of, dancing in front of people, which I still have my um, nervous energy about. My best friend literally tried to like get it out of me at times and I'm like, oh no, I need like two or three cups of alcohol before I do this. But it's usually all in jokes. But um, pole dancing intrigued me because of the athleticism that's involved in it. And you know, the people do, people are so accustomed to the idea of the sexualization um, that comes on, which is fairly new. It's only like about 30 to 40 years old when it comes down to the idea of an exotic dancer, you know, being inside of a strip club and she's going around a pole. But before this, this is actually a sport that was done in China. It was done in, and this was a sport that was mostly done by men, believe it or not. And people used to use this athleticism um, to climb the pole and do different types of tricks. They used to, they actually use it in some of the um, Chinese, I think it was, oh gosh, don't quote me on this. It might be in, it was in, I forgot what country it is. They actually used this in the military, you know, to actually climb the pole, you know, as a form of athleticism. So people don't realize there's a lot of gymnastics that's involved in being able to do these pole tricks. And while it looks exciting, there's so much upper body shrimp. So I was like, this really appeals to me. The, the machismo part of me love the idea of lifting things and, you know, or climbing up a pole. And I'm like, I got to learn how to do that. Then I saw all these videos and I'm like, oh man, that's really awesome. Um, and then there was another video of a, it was a plus size woman. Um, it was a white woman, like about two and a half, maybe three years ago. And she was just, she was so graceful. And I'm like, if she can do this, then I can do this. So it's like being inspired by, you know, by other people who are inspired. And it's like a, it's like a chain reaction. So I was like, you know what, let me just go out there and try it. Next thing I know, I'm in class. Um, I stopped for a little bit and I went back um, fairly recently and they said, hey, we're going to be doing this um, pole dancing showcase. And I'm like, I'm not auditioning for this. Next thing I know, I'm auditioning for this, you know, and um, I got in. And we end up doing this um, Michael Jackson um, thriller set. It was really exciting. The group of girls that I practice with, they are really amazing, really supportive. Um, my instructor, she 
had no problem. She has a um, take no mess kind of mentality. But at the same time, she really does embrace you and push you to get past your own self-doubts and to not be so technical, which is one of my problems. I am very technical. I can start. Sometimes I overthink what I'm supposed to do instead of just letting things flow naturally. And that's what pole dancing did for me. So, yeah, it's super exciting. I'm actually going back this week. I'm literally going to give myself two or three days to recover. And then I'm going right back into the studio on Thursday. Speaking of recovery, how does your recover time look? Um, insane. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So the first year, it took a bit. Um, I used to go through a lot of, um, a lot of calf pain with the running. Um, I used to go through calf aches, um, knee aches. Now, these days, I get more hamstring aches, quads. Sometimes I get the quad aches because my, my I have thunder thighs. So, um, I get a lot of um, aches that kind of come hit there. Plus, that's a large muscle group. And a lot of my aches sometimes goes right to, I want to say, my butt. That's why I'm actually experiencing my pain at right now. But... Um, my recovery time is really weird. I, you would think that I would be in this paralyzing, crippling pain, and I, I'm still able to do normal activities. I, I think that my body has become accustomed to the strenuous workouts that I do on a regular basis. Because it's not even so much about race day. It's about the training that you are doing from months on end. Your body starts to naturally adapt. Before, it used to be... It used to take me like a week to recover from certain things. Now it's more like two or three days. Um, And it's just from, I I hydrate, like I'm literally sitting here with bottles of water. Uh, I drink a decent amount of water. Um, Tea actually helps. I soak in Epsom salt baths sometimes. Although people swear by ice baths, I hate ice baths. Um, Although they do help. It takes away the muscle. It takes away the muscle aches if you do it directly after a race. Um, I usually just spend a lot of time in a shower. I let the shower beat on everything, you know, for about twenty to thirty minutes, as hot as I can take it. Um, I make sure that I eat and I take um, I don't believe in too many like I don't believe in like pills and stuff like that. But I am um, I am very avid about doing protein and carb carbs directly after a race like within that one hour period you do want to repair your muscles because your muscles have gone through something really strenuous especially when you talk about distance running anything over a two i'm going to say over a two hour to two hour to four hour period it's 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 actually is pushing a lot of boundaries so you want to be able to recover those muscles fairly quickly so things like peanut butter or even the um even the gatorade drinks actually help because you're losing sodium you're you're breaking down your muscle essentially and now you're looking to actually repair that process so i think because i actually practice these steps of hydrating days before and days after um eating the protein days before and days after having a decent amount of carbs where it's not overkill where it's making me sluggish actually helps using things like tiger's bomb um a foam roller to actually take out the lactic acid in my legs. Um, those aspects actually help my recovery time drastically. 
You do a lot of cross training. Everybody, you need to check her out on Instagram. This woman goes <laughs> hardcore. Describe a typical day of hardcore LaToya training. <laughs> um, typically, uh, if I'm alone, it's no more than an hour. Um, unless I'm, it's one of those days where I feel like going a little bit crazy, then I'll go for an hour and a half. But if I am literally just t- talking about just the cross training, the cross training, I like to, I find myself, um, favoring my arms lately before I used to actually favor my legs, but because I guess because of the running, it kind of balances itself out. Um, I am adamant about my calisthenics. I love push-ups, planks. Um, I like moving planks. The moving planks would basically could be from moving from side to side, or you can kind of go down from your forearms to your hands. Uh, I like to do I, as much as I hate them, V-ups are incredible for your core. You, know, um, you can do... My best friend actually has me doing... Um, oh, gosh, what are they called? I, I can see them. Um, it's like scissor kicks and um, flutter kicks. I, I hate them, but they work. There's um, the six-inch hold um, that I'll sometimes do. Burpees is something that I, as much... I have a love-hate relationship with them. But they're really effective because they touch so many groups of, of muscles that, you know, that we sometimes we tend to neglect. Um, I do favor tricep workouts, even though they hate, I, I, they burn a lot. Um, I had to slow down on my shoulders recently, but I, I think I base my workouts based on how much time I have available if I'm going solo or if I'm going with someone else, which is typically is typically rain. I usually go to the gym with sometimes I'll have someone else that's willing to jump in. And then they realize that after they saw the Instagram video, they're like, Oh, but that wasn't part of the video. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) so much that I kind of, I take out on the videos or times where I get tired of recording and I'm like, okay, you know, enough recording. It's only, but so much I can fit into a minute. But, um, yeah, I would say that at least 50% of my time is dedicated to calisthenic work. And then the other 50% is dedicated now to uh, my new favorite, which would be the cables, free weights, and um, sometimes the sniff machine, which is basically just lifting up with the, um, with the bar and you're adding on weight. So squat day is very serious for me. Um, lunges, which he absolutely hates, but um, they're very effective especially for larger muscle groups. How do they help with your running, working the larger oh, muscle groups? Um, okay, so for, for being a runner, um, don't get me wrong, your legs are super, um, you, you definitely depend on your legs, but what you when you're running, and which I, I had to learn through black girls running, sometimes you're running through your core. So your, your core is going to operate everything. And with someone like me, I have back issues. So when I'm out there in the course, before my legs actually cramp up, my back is my lower back is probably the first thing that I'm going to feel. Um, so when I do things like deadlifts, deadlifts, um, they strengthen my lower back and they strengthen my, my core. Doing squats, it strengthens my my glutes, my 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 quads, um, my my calves. Doing calf raises, of course, they, they strengthen up your calves a little bit. These things, like doing them, you don't have to do them every day. Like, honestly, you can just stick to doing, like, you know, two to three days a week. Um, You know, start off at at first doing body weight 
And then if you feel like, you know, hey, you know what, I want to actually see if I can push it a little bit further, then try weights or try something like kettlebells um, and then seeing how that works for you. Taking on different forms of squats actually works different muscle groups. You can do wide legged stance. Um, you can do the standard squat. You know, there's um, they even have plie squats, and that takes on like the outer, you know, the outer part of your legs. So each of these exercises, I make sure that I change it up after. Like if I feel like I've been doing some of the same things for anything more than three to four weeks, I start to change it up. Because your body becomes conditioned to it. You know, it's, it's like, all right, well, I've worked this out. Now it's effective, but now it's just toning. You, you, and it depends on what your personal goal is going to be. You have to determine on whether you're looking to bulk up, if you're looking to just tone, um, or if you're looking for something in between. Like, I mean, a lot of us, like me, I'm at a point where I, I know what 165 looks, look, looks like on my body when I don't shrimp train and I don't like it. I, I feel like I have this brat sized doll head and my body's exceptionally small. <laughs> so I'm like someone like me, I I need a little bit of weight. So I, I I actually do actually go for bulking up just slightly. My arms are pretty up there. My my legs are pretty up there. Um I could work on my tummy. My tummy is like one of those, the hard areas. I think that's a, a common thing for a lot of females where, you know, our stomach is kind of like resistant, but, you know, for my personal career, my personal goals, when it comes to my body, um, I, I do have this happy balance where two days a week, I like to do shrimp training on my upper body. And then two days a week, I like to focus on my lower half. And most of the times I would say about at least two to three days, I'm, I'm definitely focusing on that core. But the diet is a huge part of it. Are these some of the things that you did when you first found out about your disability and you had to start building your strength and stamina? Um, when I first found out about it, um, that was during Hurricane Sandy. That was in 2012, if I'm correct. And I was in such denial. I was in, I was in a lot of denial. I was like, oh, no, I'm going to bounce back from this. I'm going to be okay. And my doctor just, he was just Mr. Reality Check. He, I, I chose him for a reason because I needed someone who I couldn't just talk around. You know, and he's like, listen, he's like, you're going to be out for at least six months. And I was like, oh, no, it can't be that bad. And they gave me this list of, they gave me a book of prescriptions. Like, by the time I walked out the office between his office, doing x-rays, MRIs, um... They gave me 11 prescriptions, and th these were mostly muscle relaxants, medications to treat the other medication. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, I can't do this. You know, so at first, um, I tried physical therapy. When I realized that physical therapy is essentially what I'm doing right now, I was like, you, you can't be serious. I'm paying a copayment and paying a doctor to essentially do what I could do on my own at the gym. Just, I just have to be careful about it. While I do not discourage anyone from going to a physical therapist, um, if you take, if you, if you exercise, you know, certain muscles in a very precise manner where you are actually saying, okay, well, I'm not looking to do this for weight or I'm not looking to do this for, well, you're not like pushing yourself to these unrealistic, you know, boundaries where you can actually further injure yourself. You can perfectly heal yourself on your own. It took me... It took until May. So Hurricane Sandy was 
somewhere in October, going into November, if I'm correct, it took me seven months to really get my mindset together. Because for the most part, I was just in disbelief that, you know, that one, I was going to lose my career because I couldn't move. Two, that I had let my body go so far that I had gained all this weight. Like I was 265 pounds and climbing. Like I say 265 as a reference because after 265 pounds, I stopped weighing myself. Um, you know, I, I smiled it off until I couldn't smile it off anymore. When I stopped seeing my neck, that was my reality check. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I, I, I still remember that morning. I remember waking up. I looked in the mirror. I started laughing. Um, I started pushing down my, um, my, my, pushed up my shoulders and pushed down my neck to be funny in the mirror. And I couldn't laugh, you know, and that's when reality hits. It's like, okay, you can't laugh away that type of pain anymore. And I just started off small, you know, it was, it was really small. I was like, all right, you know, well, uh, I'm going to make sure I'm active and walk every day. I have a very defiant nature. Where if you tell me I can't have something, I'll go out there and I'll get it. I'll get it and I'll get three times that amount. So I knew that was a weakness for me. So I told myself, all right. So instead of having three Kit Kats a day, and I wish that was an exaggerated number, instead of having three Kit Kats a day, I'm going to have one. And then next week, I'm going to make it a goal to only have half. Then the following week, I'm going to see what it's like to only have it like once a week. And then I slowly started weaning myself away from this stuff. When it came down to exercising, to stripping up certain muscles, I started doing my own research um, on the internet. I hate to say it, I kind of referred a little bit to Google. But I also befriended someone on Instagram, and her name is Jen Reamer. And um, I started, she was doing, um, oh gosh, like the P90X and... You know, the insanity workout that collected a whole bunch of dust in my house. And I'm like, well, I'm not interested in being a beach body coach, but, you know, I am interested in your process. And she started giving me a little bit of advice and I just ran with it. And that's how I'm here. I, I give a lot of my credit to a lot of people that are in the industry and who are not in the industry. Because even the ones that write me now and they're like, oh, I'm so inspired by you. But I'm like, you know, I humbly tell them back. You inspire me to keep going. And it's not because of the, the positive words, but because of the action sometimes where I see people working out and it makes me actually want to go and get off my ass and say, okay, I can't fall back now. What motivated you to sign up for that 60K? I saw that. I was oh. like, oh, yeah, she's crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I looked at that one this morning. I was looking at the website and I was like, mm -mm, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I looked at, I kid you not, I looked at it at like about nine o'clock this morning. I was looking at the 60K. I was looking at my results from the New York City Marathon. Um, and the 60K popped up in the screen. And I was like, no, don't do it again. Don't do it again. Like, like that, that 60K took a lot out of me. Um, I was hyped up off of the adrenaline from doing a series of races. And I had... I had a screw it moment to kind of censor myself a little bit because um, the, the, the actual word is something completely different. But um, I had a screw it moment. And I was like, you know what? I think I want to try it. I'm like, well, I, I started doing the math. For some reason, I rationalized this to myself. And I said, well, a marathon is essentially 42.2K. So 
If I do a 60K, it's only 10, 10 or 11 more miles. And <laughs> I didn't take into consideration the, that, that I would not be running on a flat course. That I would, out of all places, I would be doing this in Central Park. And Central Park, if no one has ever gone there, Central Park is nothing but hills. Um, not to mention that the course they actually have you on, they have you run on a rolling hill nine times in a loop. Your first loop is about five miles, and the last eight loops are four miles each. So you're running, I believe a 60K is equivalent to 37.3 miles. Or, yeah, it's like, no, it's 37.6 miles. And psychologically, I think it messed with me being on that course because I was smiling up until mile 29. I went to the bathroom. I came out and I just felt it was like there's not even an expression. I felt all of the sodium leave out my body on my right side. And it scared me because I'm like, oh, my God, this is a stroke. And, you know, I told one of the ladies in the course and she's like, oh, no, you know, you just need some more sodium she's like you know i'll give you a, a sodium tablet which even at this point last year i still was ignorant about some of the things that you can actually take um you know and, and it's not like oh it's a pill or something like that but sodium tablets is literally a salt pill and it helps you know for all the sodium that you're leaving out your body the, the liquids that's leaving your body the nutrition that's leaving out your body because you're, you're on the course for God knows how many hours. And because I'm a slow runner, that makes it even worse. Because you're still moving. But um, by the time I hit mile 31 or 32, um, here goes my workout partner again. He's out there and he's like, he's like, I'm going to bring acorns and profanity. I think that's what he told me. Um, and he took the, he's like, he's out there and he's cheering me on. And I, shot, I gave him like the nastiest look at this point. And he's like, He's like, yeah. He's like, don't worry about it, buddy. You're doing good. And I looked at him, and I'm like, if you don't get the hell out of my face. Like, I just hated everybody that was out there smiling. I hated every sign that was out there. I, I love the ones that say, smile if you peed a little bit. Um, you know, don't become a poop meme. Uh, oh, gosh. All those things that make you smile on the course will piss you off when you do a 60K. So I... I I truly attribute the 60K purely to insanity, and a part of me was actually motivated by, um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if you actually heard of her, but her name is um, Myrna Valeria. Yes. She's the plus, yes, she is incredible. Like, yes. I have her on my Facebook page. I was hoping I actually saw her on the course um, yesterday. I missed her by 10 minutes. Like, um, she finished her marathon in seven hours and eight minutes, and she is incredible like i mean she she puts all those stigmas to complete shame like i i don't know how she pushes through it and she does all these ultra marathons but i was like man she's out there she's you know she's kicking ass and taking names i'm like i can do it and I, here i am signing up for the 60k and i got to mile 30 31 and i'm like i really was smoking crack this day <laughs> <laughs> And the sad part is, I get home after being in so much pain, and I'm like, great, I got a job interview tomorrow. And I literally had to be at this job interview at 4 o'clock in the morning. And when you're in the culinary industry, it's not like you sit down at a desk. You literally have to have this thing where they call it a trail. 
So I had to stand up on my feet for eight hours doing an interview, uh, like a face-to-face interview, cooking and making dough and, you know, baking, essentially for eight hours shadowing someone. And I only had like 10 hours of rest, if even that. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's, it was pure insanity. Um, I mean, would I ever in life sign up for an ultra marathon? I said on that day, I, I would never do this, but I don't believe myself. <laughs> I, just, I, I find myself signing, I, I find myself talking about things, and I'm like, yeah, that's interesting. And then, you know, I have people like my best friend who points out, um, yeah, every time you say something, you end up doing it. So... Who knows? Maybe, I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen this year because I think I'm done this year. But um, maybe next year I might sign up for another um, ultra marathon. But I attributed that completely to insanity and being a metal whore. You said you think you're done. And I thought that this was your last marathon of the year that you just did yesterday. But we'll see. There might be more. Yes. yes. <laughs> might be more <laughs> of this for you out there. Do you ever get a lot of haters because you're plus size and so physically fit? Yes. Oh, man. Oh, man. The glorious haters. Um, <laughs> I get... I, I wish this was an exaggeration. I get at least two nasty emails a week. I get two nasty, consistent emails a week. Like, I, I don't, that, like, it's, it's very weird. Like, I mean, because I'm like, okay, you know, for me, it, it makes me wonder, one, you know, how bored are you with life that you just feel like you have to write me and tell me that, you know, one, I, I love um, the comments I get are fat slob, um, you or the common one is you ran all those miles and you're still fat. And I'm like, okay, you know, and unfortunately I can be insult master. So my words can be very, very colorful. Or sometimes I have these dear Abby moments where I will literally post up my hate mail and we'll put them on for, I will shame them on social media. I am not ashamed to admit that I am petty. Um, <laughs> I am notoriously petty. And, um, you know, it is sometimes I, I, but I always look for a point to be proven in this where you're in life. It doesn't matter what size you're at. It doesn't matter where you are in life. It doesn't matter what you're doing. There will always be these figurative haters out there who are not going to like something that you're doing. And most likely it's a reflection of self. And it's probably something that they want to do or something that they've been discouraged on doing. And in turn, they try to translate their hate onto you. And, you know, there are, I'll be lying to say that there's days that it does not bother me. Some of these messages sometimes get a little bit personal. Um, I think the ones that I'm bothered by is when they include things like my kid. Um, You know, like, you know, you know, your child must be ashamed to have a fat mom. You probably can't run around the park or the ones that attack my integrity where they start saying things like, you know, you're promoting people to be fat, which I, you know, anybody that's followed me from 2013 up until this point, the biggest thing that I used to say is I'm not doing this for anyone. I'm doing this for me, you know, and it took until recently for me to be okay with the idea that people are actually watching and they are being inspired by the things that I'm doing. And that was fairly recently for me to be comfortable with that. So when I get those type of emails, those sting a little bit. The crazy part is, I get more of those from women. 
You know, that's that's the part that bothers me. And, and then when, when sometimes I get bold enough to actually click profiles, and if they write me on places like Facebook or if they write me on Instagram or Twitter, um, I start looking at these profiles, and I'm like, are you kidding? I'm like, but you're about the same size as me, if not bigger, and you're insulting me. And, you know, I realize that it's not me that's the problem, it's them. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some... I've had people who have passively insulted me. Um, I recently went through it on my Facebook page and literally my friends, oh, oh man, my, I, I think some of my friends are savages just like me. <laughs> 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 Verbally. And they were, and I wrote up and it was, it was just, uh, I, I'll never forget it. I was going through um, a day where everything just seemed to just kind of like, it felt like a rain cloud was just following me the entire day. And I woke up and I was bitter. Um, and I put up on my page, you know, should I get cheese fries? And, you know, there was like three or four funny comments. Like some people actually knew I was joking. They knew that they knew that I was like, you know, it wasn't that serious where I was asking the actual question. And the, the status was something like cheese fries or no cheese fries. That is the question. And a couple people was like, yeah, just go out there and get cheese fries. And they were like, you know, like, hey, why don't you get the ones with the chili on it? And then all of a sudden, one person who I'll leave nameless, um, she goes on there and she says, don't get the cheese fries. And I was like, okay, you know, whatever. But then someone else came on there and was like, nah, screw that. Go on there and get them cheese fries. She writes underneath this person's comment and says, you don't have any willpower. You need to go. You need not to get the cheese fries. And it's things like that that bothered me. Because... You know, and it's not, you know, and like, you know, like people didn't understand, you know, like some people actually understood why I went off, but, and I, and I respectfully, you know, kind of told her about herself, but I was like, you don't know me and you don't determine someone else's willpower, you know, of what they're willing and not willing to do, you know, and she started to go, she started to take it a step further where she started saying, oh, don't you want to lose the weight? And I'm like, okay, now you really don't know who I am as a person. If you're actually saying that. My goal in life is not to be skinny. My goal in life is not to be, you know, this magazine size six or, you know, this Kim Kardashian. Like, that's not my goal. My goal when it came down to essentially losing this weight was to regain my life. I, I didn't want to be taken out of a profession that I absolutely love. Both the professions that I'm in, you know, doing photography and doing culinary work requires for me to be more mobile. I didn't want to be off this earth because I have a son. You know, my family is my life. You know, I wanted to be able to travel. I wanted to do certain things. And without that mobility, I don't have any of this. You know, so when, when I started reading the messages, I was like, I can't even get angry at this. You know, um, you you don't know me. And that's when it comes down to, when it comes down to my, you know, my haters. You know, I, I laugh at that term. You know, I'm like, you know, and I'm thankful for them. You know, I mean, I, you hear it in rap songs, but it's, it's very true. I am very thankful for my haters because, you know, it is it is the humble pie that you are forced to eat. And sometimes you have to find a way to kind of keep that as your motivator. You know, um, they, they, I, I get a lot, you know, but I try not to focus on it. I say as many hateful messages as I can get, I have so much love that's coming out there, that's coming my direction, that I can't be mad for long. You know, and you, you just, I mean... People will beat you down regardless of how good you are trying to do. People will always find something 
to complain about, you know, or, or to look down about or frown about because it goes against either their personal beliefs or they just don't believe in it enough in themselves that they have to translate it onto others. So you just have to just keep on moving. You just dust off your shoulders and keep moving. True. What makes you keep pushing? What is it in you that makes you keep pushing? Stubbornness. <laughs> I would say definitely like all jokes aside, definitely stubbornness. Um, personal strength, morals, family, friends, good support, um, good support overall, and trying to be the best imperfect, perfect person that I can be. Um, for me, I don't, I don't, I think perfection is within, is, is learning how to accept that you are flawed. And the quicker that you are able to accept that you are a flawed person, that you are going to go through these trials and tribulations in life, the, the, the lighter life becomes, you know, it's not, a, it's as hard and as easy as, and as complicated as you make it, you know? So when it comes down to, when it comes down to just, you know, like to, to doing these things, um, my motivation is my, definitely my ethics, um, my, my personal ethics, my work ethics, my, my personal life, my, you know, the, the way that I try to encourage my kid. Um, my dad was a huge inspiration. Like he comes up a lot when I, when I have conversations with people. Um, I always say that my dad was my best and worst role model. Um, only because, I mean, he's been here. He was there for my entire life until he passed away in 2009. But I watch, I watch the, to me, in my personal opinion, he was the greatest man that didn't become, that, 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 didn't, that didn't happen. Because I saw so many potential, so many things that came his direction. And while he would strive for them, he also self-sabotaged. And, you know, and it was because, I mean, if you're a product of the 80s, you know, unfortunately, you know, there was the drug, drug epidemic that came about. And, um, you know, my dad, unfortunately, had his shortcomings with that. But as a man, you know, he he showed me strength that burned physically, mentally, and emotionally. And while my mom was a huge, you know, my mom is a huge aspect, you know, of a, a huge part of my life. My dad, I gravitated to him so much when it came down to just being able to roll with the punches. Somebody told him no. He's like, all right, well, I'll just make a way to make it actually yes. You know, he, he found ways through that. And in turn, he taught me all those things. And I found my way through his mistakes. I found a way to say, okay, this is the way that I'm not going to make that same mistake. So I, I, I used that on the course, I use that in my everyday life. Um, I use it all the way down to even interacting with my own kid. You know, where I don't believe in the whole do as I say, not as I do. I believe in leading by example as much as possible to the point where I even do that with adults. Um, before, you know, before culinary life, before any of this exercising stuff was a thought, I was a social worker, you know, and you realize from listening to so many people's problems and you're like, okay, here I am. I'm hired to try to help people, not so much fix their lives, but you're here and you're designed to do this, this, this job to help people find a path to help themselves. And 
that's what I think I'm doing right now with my own life. Every day I'm looking for something positive to keep myself going. Even when the world has given me 10 things thrown in my direction where it just looks like there's no light. There's The light still exists. It's just I haven't found it yet, you know, on this particular day. And then if I don't find it on this particular day, there's always another day. And you, you have to find ways to kind of push yourself through, you know, and that I think that's the way that I look at these races, um, big or small. I, I always go into it humble, knowing that I should go for the best, expect the worst, um, and whatever happens, you know, just, just let it be. Just let it be. That is a wonderful way to wrap up. I really, really appreciate you being on the show, LaToya. Can you please let everybody know how they can get in contact with you, how they can watch your journey, read about you? Your website is hilarious. Let's just let everybody know (laughs) how they can get at you. (laughs) Awesome. So on, um, I should make all this stuff the same, but um, on Instagram and on Twitter, it is literally I am L Shantae. So that's I A M L S H A U N T A Y. I am L Shantae. But um, if you want to read my blog, um, you want to follow my crazy journeys, um, just type in running runningfatchef.weebly.com. I essentially plan on buying the domain, so it'll just be runningfatchef.com. But if you Google search me, hopefully it pops up. Um, I've been having a little bit of issues with Google, but I'm trying to work all that stuff out within the next month. But it's runningfatchef.weebly.com. If you are looking for me on Facebook or anywhere else in between, just type in Latoya Snell, S-N-E-L-L. And if you actually try to find me another way, it's Latoya Shantae. So it's S-H-A-U-N-T-A-Y. But thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, <laughs>